Uh, oh, do you offer one? Oh, it's the cap of the day. CC's Pizza is the county fair of restaurants. You go in there, you look around, you feel a little bit better about yourself, then you realize that you're in there too. Tell me I'm wrong. Well, let's be honest. You know, not everybody's made for this life. It's scary. You know, you gotta jump out of a plane while it's moving. That's not natural. It's high, it's, it's fucking wet outside sometimes. It's snowy, it's hot, it's dry, it's shitty. Who the fuck would want to be airborne? Best job, fucking best job I ever had. What is up, everybody? Welcome to episode 110 of the Trash Talk Hour. Special guest today is retired Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann, an author of Operation Pineapple Express. And today I'm joined by the Big Earl and Send It Seven. Cheers, everybody. What's up, guys? Cheers. What's up? All right. Hey Shout out to Buddy. He couldn't make it today. A little bit of a family emergency. So it's going to be a good show. Here, kid. Yeah, it's going to be a good show. Yeah. It's empty. The bottle's empty. Bottle's empty. <laughs> Bill, the sergeant major, is here with us today, and he's still driving, so I don't know what's going on with that. But, to, you know, to the safety brief people watching, there's this yeah. kid's videotaping for him, so it's good. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, yeah. I know. Anyhow, today, um, I'm going to keep the conspiracy pretty short since we have an amazing guest on the show. Uh, so I'm just going to briefly go over a couple things and then uh obviously we're gonna throw it back to the panel to you know tell us if this is true if this occurred or it didn't so today we're gonna talk about the foo fighters so back in uh december 13th 1944 general eisenhower did a press release on the foo fighters he basically talks about encounters that the british and the american pilots had during world war ii so they basically saw these flying lights in the sky um engine failure when these lights would you know fly past the airplanes um, and it, it became a serious problem of concern because they couldn't outmaneuver them. Um, they didn't show up on radar. Uh, eyewitness accounts. There was a big article in the New York Times about this, basically just stating that we didn't know what this was. You know, was it the Germans, you know, or was it alien technology? And still to this day, nobody knows what the Foo Fighters were. They basically always showed up mainly during like bomb runs and things of that nature. And it'd be pockets of lights. I know Chris put up the pictures. I think I have a couple pictures that I sent him. And, uh, you know, 
there's a lot of stories about the UFO phenomena and stuff that I that I talk about often as like power plants, you know, UFOs show up there. And a lot of times during war, you know, even in Iraq, there's a lot of soldiers that have witnessed during the Iraqi invasion, UFOs flying, flying over. So I don't know if it's technology from other countries. I'm a big UFO guy. So I actually believe it. And I'm going to say that these were aliens, maybe, or, you know. Well, you got to anyway. take a stand, Dave. You can't just say maybe. 80-20? Is that a good one, Nick? Uh, that works, yeah. So I don't think it was the Germans, because I don't think they had technology back then that could outmaneuver, you know. Our, our planes or whatever, and then not to show up on radar. I mean, obviously the technology that we have nowadays is a lot more advanced, but back then, and too many eyewitness accounts by the British, you know, and by the Americans. So definitely Foo Fighters, 80-20 UAPs, as we call them now. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely 80-20, it happened. What's your take, Scott? You know, I'm, I'm kind of there with you, but I, I'm going to go, I, I'm going to throw something out there maybe uh, as, an, as another angle here. When I was a, a young team leader, uh, we went out to, uh, this was just after the Civil War ended, uh, <laughs> we went out, to, uh, Nellis, <laughs> went out to Nellis Air Force Base uh, to do this thing called Red Flag, and, and a couple of JTACs were with us, and, you know, we're really great guides. They understood the area very well, and we went out to this area called Tonopah, which is way out there. It's really by, mm -hmm. area, by area 51. And there's all of this, you know, as, as you've seen, like this local interest in UFOs, there's even a little yep. town, Rachel, that it is nothing but Roswell UFOs, area 51, yep. right? Watchers that come to see this. But, but, but what Tomcat and the other JTAC told us was that, you know, back in the eighties, when the, uh, when the UFO sightings were really high, when there was all kinds of reporting on that and stuff. Um, it turns out that the, the preponderance of that was stealth technology, that it was actually stealth bombers, stealth fighters, and the Air Force uh, kind of smartly played into that and actually drummed it up. So mm -hmm. I'm not saying it couldn't be UFOs. I mean, the, the, you know, the galaxy is massive, but, you know, it could have also been leading ed edge technology that was, um, you know, out there by another country or something like okay, that. Okay, so you, so, so you were thinking maybe the Germans? Because they had a huge interest, you know, if you read read up yeah. on... Uh, Germans the had some that, of the best scientists on the planet. Yeah, the and, they, yeah, well, yeah and then they all came here and uh, created NASA, right? Well, we, That's we a brought, whole different we, we conspiracy. Brought them here. Yeah. <laughs> we brought them here, yeah. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna kill you now or, you know, <laughs> or put you in front of a court, you know, and uh, yeah. Okay, so you're saying you're leaning what? So you're saying 50-50? What what's your, I'm what's thinking, your last take? I'm thinking like mostly like 80%. I think it was like an advanced technology that was, okay. you know, that made From me, Earth. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I like it. I like it, Scott. I appreciate you. Bill. You know what? I, I, Scott has good points, right? So for, for years, for a while there, Everybody thought we had UFOs and ended up being, you know, the B-2 was being tested out and the B-1s. Stealth bombers uh, and all that stuff, yeah. And he's right. I have seen some wacky stuff out doing red flag stuff. However, uh, <laughs> more and more stuff has been coming out where certain administrations have been released stuff saying, hey, yeah, we do have evidence of some UFOs. Uh, so... I'm with Dave. I'm I'm around the 80, 20, 70, 30 time frame, or not time frame, but uh, odds, if you will. I'm I'm with 80, 20. It probably was some UFO stuff back then. I just don't think we had the technology at that point, right? For for the stuff that's been coming out saying that uh, they saw it during that time, I just don't think we had that. We, as in Earth, didn't have that technology. So uh, I'm with Dave on this one. 80-20. Yeah. 
And I feel like a lot of the sightings that occur nowadays are definitely probably, you know, us, whatever. Um, but then you look at the press releases that came out in June, was it last year, where we kind of released yeah, all our, year. and they call them UAPs now, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Uh, but last year it all came out and they said, hey, this is what's occurring in our skies. And nobody, we don't know shit. what it is. Right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and nobody cared. Right. But then if you look four or five years ago, if you used to talk about it, you're crazy, man, bullshit. And now they're just like, literally, you can watch Fox, you can watch CNN, and they'll be talking about, you know, things that have been seen in the sky, like the whole big incident in California, you know, with all those pilots, where that thing shot out of the water. Um, who knows? You know, and I, I'm sure Godzilla. Nick's going to talk about, yeah, I'm sure, yeah, that Godzilla, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah, I again, I'm going to bring it up just like I did last time, is I still have to go back to my fifth grade science fair and argue with the teacher that when I did a, an aliens project, I got a C on it. Right. And now, now I was right. Okay. So take that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So yeah. I, I, for, I, for, it was a guy actually, I forgot his name, but I mean, what kind of guy was a teacher in the eighties? Got here. Um, so, uh, just should have been fighting the commies. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> what, <laughs> but it is what it is. I, 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 I think that it was us. I think it was the Germans. Uh, I think it was. I think it was human beings. Uh, the Germans were developing rockets back then already. You know, they had. That's they were accurate. trying all, trying all kinds of crazy shit. Um, and you know, who knows? Maybe that was just, you know, something that you know Einstein cooked up. You know, and then yeah, because that is a good point. Sky, not see to, if it flies. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, not, yeah, and not to interrupt. You know, that is a good point, Nick. Like because all these articles that I research, it's always just talking about the Brits and the Americans what they spotted. Like, I'm sure that at some point we caught a German who might have, you know, said, hey, I saw this shit. There's nothing, zero saying about Germans, like, spotting these things. So, yeah. And in all be... reality, I'd like to admit that Germans had pretty advanced aircraft technology. Back they did. Too. They did. I, I have one more theory. Mm -hmm. And it's short. But I didn't consider, you know, Captain America and Hydra. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's good because that kind of that kind of, I mean, it's a, too early for a segue into your book, but you know, there's like you know, those are things that the movies, you know, like like you see this shit in movies. Right, you gotta get it from somewhere, right? You know, like, like Boondock Saints, it's like bad bad television explains this. You know, it's like it's, it's, you see this on bad television, yeah. <laughs> yeah. life imitating art. Right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I I think it was the Germans. I think they were you know experimenting with some stuff, and who knows, maybe. You know, it was a you know a psychological play, the first psyops operation. You know, for the Germans of you know making the American bombers like scared, oh know, yeah, nervous. Like, hey, just throw up a bunch of these freaking balls that we like have like phosphate on them and they glow, like whatever. You know, and absolutely, it'll, it'll freak them out, and then they won't want to fly. And they were so, freaked out. Yeah, yeah, so, it, it did. Yeah, yeah. I can, okay. I, I can see that. And, All uh, right, good take, Nick. I appreciate that. Uh, well, mm -hmm. yeah, I'll just jump right into the book of Earl. Uh, uh, here we and, go. So Scott, you're you're you uh, you don't you haven't watched many of the shows, but the Book of Earl is like the Bible for veterans. Uh, I create it on a on a weekly basis. Uh, so I, it's just what it verse is, and uh, chapter is this, Nick? Yeah, uh, we're gonna go. We're gonna call it uh, chapter seven, verse four. Okay. Um, okay. Which is it's okay to cry in movies. All right. Uh, and there's 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 only there's only two movies that have ever made me cry. Okay, the first one was when uh, Cole Trickle came back in One Day Tona, right? And Days of Thunder. That was that was an emotional event for me. Uh, and then the second one, obviously, is Saving Private Ryan. 
right? So like, that's the real one. That's the one where I actually cried. I don't care how hard I try not to. Like when, when he kneels down by that tomb and he tells his wife to say that I've been a good man, like, you know, you're not going to do it. You know, and so, yeah, but I want, I went with the wife to go watch uh devotion the other night mm-hmm. uh, about the pilots in the Korean war. And again, it's the forgotten war. So that's another thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, you know, what was it? 50, 57,000 lives lost there in three years. You know, uh, just just brutal. And the the way that they did this movie, I thought was phenomenal, uh, where they they sh- they showed you that it's not glamorous. Right. Mm-hmm. And because we all know this, we've all been in the, you know, in in operations where we lost buddies uh, and, you know, it's it's OK to let it out. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's OK to cry. Uh, and if devotion would have went about 10 seconds longer with their sad part, I would have been done. Like, I think they cut it off right at the right time where I was like, it almost, like, it was close. Like, you know, like the wife was already crying. Like it was, it was close. Um, and you know, and then after, you know, the movie, my wife goes, well, that sucked, you know, like, and I was like, yeah, like that's, that's the way it is, you know? And then they make a fake little rift in there. This is what the book of rolls about, why it's okay to cry. Uh, and I get reminded, I'm seeing we're talking about movies, I get reminded of Platoon, uh, you know, where Ooh, he's, yeah, ta- he's, talk- he's talking about, you know, what a grunt is, mm-hmm. right? How a grunt can take it. That's what he says. He's like, the, the, and he's writing a letter to his grandma, you know, and he's like, they're the best I've ever seen, grandma, you know, and he's like, uh, you know, and he's like, from all ends of the, all ends of the United States. And now in our army today, all ends of the world, right? And it's like a grunt can take anything right you put us in work i mean we'll smile if you give us a hot pocket right when we don't have had hot food for a couple months sometimes you, know, you just say again bill you, you kind of need to rip it yeah you need to rip it you know like you see the smile on a grunt's face when he gets a rip it you know it's, and it's a like drink a war man <laughs> yeah, the drink of war yeah. uh, but I, I did want to talk about that to the page uh to veteran trash talk and again our whole purpose is to not prevent veteran suicide but uh intervene right and intervention leads to prevention and Mm -hmm. if we can get ahead of it as opposed to reacting to it uh you know we'll be in a better place so that's why we have the rules we have on our page right our page is run by grunts all right and then our support group is run by all kinds of people from all different walks you know shout out to like monica and letha and len and you know bill helps run it you know uh celtic warrior is still on there doing some stuff he's a little crazy right now but uh you know we got the mental health warrior bill he's you know he, um not bill uh sorry uh i lost my train of thought but you know we got the mental health warrior cliff he's on there helping out and, and again we don't allow politics we don't allow sexual posts right like got it i'm glad you have those opinions but getting back to the grunt thing is in the movie Devotion, when you watch it, they show a, like a little bit of a glimpse of like when, you know, six divisions of Chinese attack, mm-hmm. you know, like divisions, right? People don't understand that watching that in the military. That's a, that's a lot of freaking people, right? Like a lot of people, you know, and they're shooting and you're just sitting there in a hole as a Marine, right? Trying to hold, hold off the attack. That's brutal, huh? Just it's a thought abs- of that. Absolutely brutal, you know, and, uh, 
you think about it and those grunts were that's the reason why when we hear it, it's like hey man i've always had so much fun with the infantry guys it's like yeah it's like we we literally get so i guess you say desensitized to things mm-hmm. and it's just like we have we have to refine ourselves you know we have to refine our emotions we have to refine like you know refine who we are and that's one of the hardest things to do and this page this company everything about this community this is what this saturday is our therapy like we get to talk with our battle buddies again we get to bring on great guests who've done things but um yeah so that's that's the book of earl it's it's okay to cry in movies right and if a grunt opens write this up, down yeah if a grunt <laughs> opens up to you you should listen okay uh and if a grunt sharing his feelings you should listen all right because this is somebody who especially if he's deployed, has seen the worst of things and somehow made it funny, right? And that's that's why some of you guys don't understand why we joke about everything, right? And we always say it, you know, there's humors after, you know, a tragedy. It's right, this is the next step, you know? And it's like, grunts, we just we just find a way to deal with it. Yeah. And and like, you know, like the, you know, the, the source from the movie Platoon where these guys are the best I've ever seen, Grandma. They can take it. They can take anything. Right. And that's the true American spirit and the, the, all around the world, any grunt, any infantryman in any army. Right. He's doing unimaginable, unspeakable, living in crazy conditions. And uh, so, that, so that's that's about it. And seeing as I was supposed to turn it over to Mike Levine, who I know is watching right now from Vet TV, is uh, not on here because he some sergeant he's a he's a retired sergeant major you think his calendar would be up to date but then well, look at bill know. man we're su- yeah. sergeant major like yeah, sergeant major on is, time like you know you're a sergeant major right not teach a you major. shit at the academy like, man yes yeah, what do they teach you guys nowadays but bill give us get off my grass give yeah. us something for about two minutes so you know you got to take over mike's spot well i'm not gonna let some recruiter talk to me about <laughs> remember 80% of what we need to be at for the next fiscal year. Uh, I can't comment, Bill. I'm still in. I got six months left. Just let's, let's, we'll, we'll have this conversation about six months, okay? <laughs> I'll share my thoughts. Uh, you know, but Nick, when it comes to crying in movies, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you the one that always gets me, I don't care how many times I've seen it, uh, even sometimes just seeing just a little clip of it was in a Black Hawk Down, when they're losing that kids for more artery, uh, I don't care who you are. If you don't get teared up watching that, you're just not human. Or have never been in that similar situations. Uh, but what what I talk about is a problem I'm seeing across the army, a problem I'm dealing with you, actually, is, is uh, resistance to change. Uh, the problem we're having in the military as a whole, I got to be careful how I'm saying this, too. Uh, yeah, I, yeah I, you do, CSM. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, is we're seeing more and more leaders across the army. Hopefully, with the new SMA, I think that'll help change it. Because uh, knowing the background he's come from, is we're seeing senior leaders that are resistant to change because they don't want to embrace this next generation. I mean, you know, every generation in the army is always going to talk about, hey, you know, the next generation is softer. You know, this generation is soft, but they're they're just going to be different and. This generation likes technology, whether we want to embrace that or not. That is the way of the world. And if we don't start looking forward as ways to reach these kids, uh, we're going to fail. 
and you know, we're you see it more with the VR headsets. I, I sat in a brief last night. Now they're talking about doing VR maintenance type stuff. Uh, and half the room was all about it. And half the room was, was kind of against it. And if we have to understand that this next generation, guess what? VR is, is where it's going. And it's only going to get more and more uh, in-depth and crazier than we ever thought we would see. I mean, you know, we grew up in the Mario generation where I remember Heck when yeah. – came out it was amazing uh and now i'm i'm lamar jackson in a virtual headset you know throwing footballs and games um and so again leaders just have to understand that times are changing uh including us we're just getting older and if we don't start embracing this new technology and change in our formations it's it's gonna the army will keep going by they made it so why can't we just like why can't we just normalize change like it's okay like yeah. times change because we're trying it's to like normalize a, things that are weird. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's uh, yeah. That's a whole. That's a whole different rabbit hole we go down. There. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we're trying yeah. to normalize things that don't matter, and uh, right. that, that's part of it with the, the 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 grunt as well. And we've talked about this before with the ponytails and the beards and the fingernails and the transgenders or whatever. And I was like, if you go on Twitter and you go on Facebook, you don't see grunts complaining about this stuff. Nope. Right? Well, nope. one, the grunts probably aren't on Twitter. And then, like, you know, <laughs> you don't like, know how to like, operate Twitter. <laughs> but, but they, like, they're sitting here, like, if you ask any grunt that's, you know, Ranger tabbed or Jumpmaster Airborne or Special Forces guy, if you ask them what they think about ponytails, they're going to, I guarantee you 99% of them go, what? Like, why? who cares? Like, if a girl wants a ponytail, they wear a ponytail. Like, that's that's what a grunt would say. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, Most of the people wearing a grunt-style shirt with tattoos and complaining about ponytails is also the kid that's scoring a, a 200 on the APFT or, or a 400 on the ACFT bitching about how hard the Army needs to be. Yep. It's always that guy. It's always yeah. the guy that's asking the PT test that's doing all the talking about this stuff too. Yep, that's why you need to go out and buy Grunt Works and support us. Yeah, we're actually we're yeah, actually just, owned by yeah. Grunts, all right. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah. So again, like that's what I don't. I mean, I understand it because you know I have common sense, but it's it's just weird how people don't want to adapt. They refuse, you know. And there's so many studies behind it now, you know, with like leadership doctrine. And all this to where it's like, you know, becoming, and I hate the phrase people first, right? I just can't stand it. Like, I think it should be people centric, right? Like, cause pe people first is not what the army's about. And it never will be about that. Like. I with people first is that people didn't understand that it's being marketed at different levels. So when general McConville talks about people first, he's trying to market it to the entire army. But when battalions and brigades tried to talk people first, it got somehow it got down to the battalion level that people first meant I let you go home at two every day and not like, hey, people first is I'm going to make sure you're ready for combat. Yeah, yeah. Right, and that's you... what I said. So when you, when you try to message something, like, and I always bring up the, you know, the guy who created the word genocide, right? He, he's like, I have to create a word that means nothing else. Like that it's, it means this. Yeah. Done. You know, and so like, yeah, it's interesting. But hey, let's let's get to our guest. He's been patiently yeah. waiting. Cheers, uh, cheers. And uh, so 
you know, when we when I when I spend hours on the script, which is you know about five seconds uh, on my phone, you know, I I I, I can real easily make fun of somebody without knowing them. Um, but I, I it was hard for me because I read uh, Scott's book uh, before I, before I wrote the script. Uh, there it is, Operation Pineapple Express, and I mean the book is freaking phenomenal, right? And the reason I kind of I the reason I kind of changed it to a movie thing for the Book of Earl was again this is the stuff that you see in movies right it's not supposed to happen like this it's not supposed to be this right this is this is wild okay and i made a joke on the script where i said that you know scott was jealous of the navy seals you know always getting <laughs> always getting movie deals you know and he's like hey where's ours so he's sticking up for the green berets you know and so now he runs the play so that everybody could be a special forces guy and all that stuff. But uh, no, uh, it, it's it's something that, you know, we, 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 we took a hold of right away with the Afghanistan withdrawal here on Veteran Trash Talk. And, you know, Buddy had a real good honesty cap about it uh, where, you know, he talked about it's like, hey, look, man, be upset about it. That's fine. You know, and he's like, you know, reach out and talk. But it's like you got you st- you to stay composed when we got to talk to each other. We got to get it out. Uh, and there's a line in the book. Uh, from Scott, and we'll get into it, but he, you know, he talks about demons, and it hit me right away because that's our signature saying on Veteran Trash Talk, which is get the, get the demons demon out. out, right? Like you're not going to be. It's uh, the Colonel that you referenced in the book uh, that actually didn't take his high three as a full bird and got retired as a lieutenant colonel. Like you just said, I'm done, you know. And it's, uh, you know, it's like you deal with those demons. Uh, you can't beat them by yourself. All right. Just can't. And but they are still your responsibility. Right. They're they're your demons. Get them out. All right. Get them out so that we can talk about it. Uh, but I know uh, I, I, I'm sure Scott will talk about it, but I'm just going to guess that uh, it, this writing this book also helped him defeat some demons of his own uh, and then get them out there. Because when you read it, you're going to see some demons in there. And, you know, if you've ever operated whether it's special operations, infantry, or just, you know, been in, been in the shit, right? Some of this stuff's going to resonate pretty, pretty hard with you. And the story about, you know, um, your special forces guy in there from the Afghan special forces is amazing. So, Scott, welcome to the dumpster fire. Uh, tell us why you decided to compete with the Navy SEALs with writing books and making movies and doing plays. But uh, other than that, just, uh, like, give us a little bit of background on your service and, uh Obviously, let's sell the book because this is the great book. So welcome, Scott. Thanks, Nick. And it's good to be with all you guys. I, I really love what you do what you're doing and, and the fact that you're 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 running at this whole thing with the baseball man. I mean, that's that's I believe the same thing. And, and so I, I I I'm honored to be here. Um I don't know that I could ever compete with the Navy SEALs in that category. Um, you know, uh <laughs> I, I do I do operate in the public space, you know, and 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 that has been a a pretty big transition for me since I retired 10 years ago, because, you know, in the special ops world, it, it, at least when you're in, you know, it's, it's low key, it's pretty low key. And, and you, you know, you just, you spend your time either in a place like Afghanistan or getting ready to go back just like you guys did. Um, I, I did not intend to write this book. I did not intend to have anything to do with the U S government, the U S army, Afghanistan, or any of those things uh, ever again, other than my play, that I was doing as a nonprofit, uh, as part of my nonprofit. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, I retired 
um, out of Army Special Forces in, in 2013. I'd spent about 23 years in the Army, <clears throat> about 18 of that as a Green Beret. Um, I will tell you that I wanted to be a Green Beret from the time I was 14. Um, I, I met a Green Beret at a, in my soda shop and when I was a little kid in Mount Ida, Arkansas. And like that dude, the minute I saw him, I knew that's what I wanted to do. He, he just, the way he carried himself, it was just, and I didn't even really know what Green Berets did at that time, but I just knew that that was my way out of that town. It was what I wanted to do. And it never changed for me. Like it never changed. I think I, I probably recy recycled Ranger School and the Q course so many times I could have PCS to both of them. Um, but it did. Typical didn't. officer in Ranger School. So that's all right. What? Typical officer in Ranger School. You guys. Yeah, not only was I tip. No, it gets better, bro. I was a quartermaster second lieutenant. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. You were yeah, in charge of the laundry machines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it didn't matter because I, I mean, I just, I knew that's what I was going to do. And it, and I was just going to stay in it until I got it. And, and it eventually happened. And, and I loved it. I loved my entire time in SF and, and, you know, losing a lot of friends, um, time away from my family and all of that stuff that went with it. I still, I would not, I would not change a thing. I, I loved every second of it, but I, it got to a point, I think like we were talking about before the show started for me and my dad always said, you know, he's my hero. He said, you, you'll know you'll know when it's time. And, and, and I did, I knew it was time to leave. It was 2013. Um, I'd been selected for a command, but I just, we, we had walked away from our Afghan partners in the villages with the village stability program. And a lot of my friends were, were murdered. Um, frankly, I looked at the careerism in the, in the army officer ranks at 06 and above. And I just, I just said, that's just not for me. So I, I hung it up. And, and I was done. I had moved on with my life, um, was really doing a lot of nonprofit work around veteran storytelling and our play last out. And that's where I was kind of in that restoration world when this whole thing in 2021, you know, happened. Um, and I think like a lot of guys, I just kind of got sucked back into it, man. Like, I, you know, it was my friend Nizam, an Afghan commando who just basically was a dead man walking. And you know, a lot of us are alive because of guys like him and others. And it was just to me unacceptable that he was going to be executed because we just quit on him. And, and so yeah. I'd love to tell you it was some kind of like preconceived thing, but honestly, the whole pineapple experience and all of that, it was a gutting, terrible experience. It still is. And I wish it had never happened. Yeah, and uh, we appreciate you sharing that uh, with that emotion involved because, again, those of you watching, uh, man, this this is I didn't spend much time in Afghanistan, and I was you know I was never special operations, but when I was reading about you know you know, and this this is coming from uh, who was the young? I mean, you obviously had Petraeus with counterinsurgency, but who was the young uh, SF guy that? came up with the idea uh to like get into like the villages again so there well that was there was a couple people you know general scott miller uh was was the as far as i'm concerned at the senior leader level was the guy that was really you know responsible for that i was i was one of the architects of the program right. so i had the opportunity to see it from the ground up through implementation and then through abandonment and honestly nick it was a microcosm and almost like a, a futurist look at what was going to happen with the House of Cards in August 2021, we abandoned the villages the exact same way. Um, mm. 
it was it was the catalyst for me getting out, man. I couldn't I couldn't stand it. I just it was it was more than I could I could stomach. And then uh, wow. your 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 play is uh, lastout.org, right? Yeah. So the play is 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 if you go to lastoutplay.com, um, you know w- what I tell people is if you want to know why Operation Pineapple Express and these other things happened, these other volunteer groups, come see this play because it's it's about it's it's last out elegy of a green beret. But honestly, anybody that conducted ground combat in either Iraq or Afghanistan or even Vietnam is going to connect with this play uh, because one, it's all veteran, all combat veterans in the cast who, who train diligently as actors. So it's not like an after school special, like, Oh, look at the kid right. going to play, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, we, we train really seriously and, and have, you know, New York coaches and everything. So, but the other thing is that it, um, it follows the, I wanted to write a play and I'd never written a play or anything like that. Um, but I wanted to write something that covered the life of a post 9-11 NCO. And, and even though I'm an officer, I, for me, I was raised by NCOs. Um, I'm alive because of NCOs. And I wanted to tell the story of, of an NCO and his family in this long war, you know, and, and, and so, you didn't even know you had a family for until what, like, 2000 yeah. like this year or two years ago last year right 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 well, well <laughs> so yeah so uh, so when I wrote the play I based it on three team sergeants that I had that didn't make it home and and uh rolled them into one composite character and um and then just started and I actually wrote the play to kind of heal myself it was a project that one of my mentors had suggested on the storytelling front I never intended it to see the light of day and I did one little scene of it at a community theater thing as I was working on my public speaking. And it like the place just really fell apart because of the emotion in it, like you were talking about. And uh, there were a lot of veterans in the audience that really connected to it. So, and they all came up to me afterward and they were like, dude, that's a play. You've got to do that. And I'm like, yeah, but I've never acted before and I'm 50. And, you know, so to complete my midlife crisis, I started studying you know, acting and stuff up in New York, but, but we put this thing on the road. We toured 16 cities before this was before pineapple, before the collapse in Afghanistan, 28,000 miles in a U-Haul van um, across the country performing this play about this green beret team sergeant um, who's killed in the very first scene. He's blown up in the very first scene and he's trying to ascend to the warrior resting place of Valhalla, but he can't let go. He's holding on to something. So his buddies come down from Valhalla, including his best friend who was killed in the Pentagon that are called operators. And they're like shapeshifters and they come back and they become all the people in Danny Patton's life who made his heart pump the most blood, his wife, his son, his arch nemesis, Colonel Smith, his, his, uh, a Taliban commander. And so you go through Danny's entire life, like you, or, you know, his career, like the selection, um, getting married, 9-11, deployment after deployment and the, the play just bounces between his living room and his firebase. And so by the end of the play, you don't know, Danny doesn't know which one he's in and you don't either. And it's, 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 it's his journey to figure out what he's holding on to so he can let go. And, and um, it is a two hour cathartic ride, man. And so I would say, mm-hmm. Nick, it, I would add a third event that you will cry at uh, in its last out. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm, I'm okay with that now. Uh, so like, I, I don't try to pinch myself to stop anymore, but, uh, 
And like like, yeah. like like Bill Bill was Bill was right, especially with that scene in Black Hawk Down. I usually leave the room knowing that scene's coming up. So uh it's like that's a it's <laughs> it's a tough one. But uh I I wanted to I wanted to what bring you up guys but what you guys did for a well, I was just gonna say, but what you guys did for a living was tough. And and what we experienced in the loss of our friends was tough and what our families went through was tough, you know. And and my thing, this is why I wrote the play, is that civilians for the most part don't understand that. Um, and a lot of veterans are asking themselves, like, what was the point? You know, really right. on the heels of the Afghanistan abandonment. And so this play is a way to 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 tell all of them that it mattered. And to let them see their life play out up on that stage in a safe environment where they can find meaning in it. And if they need to have an emotional access to it, they can and and know that we love them and they're still going to be all right and, and that it mattered, you know. Yeah, and Scott, real quick, I know Nick had a question, but just in regards to the play for all of our viewers right now, like, do you have a timeline where this play? I know you and I spoke, you know, before the show where the next. They're going to Phoenix, there, baby. Yeah. Is there is there any other states you guys are going to be covering? How, you know, how do they right. go to this play? Like. Yeah, well, the coolest thing was we were we were all grassroots, man. We did it all ourselves as a 501c3 nonprofit. And then Gary, nice. Sinise, saw it, Gary Sinise saw it and said, hey, man, let's make this thing a, a real a real production. So his foundation is now producing it. And we are uh, we're going to we just performed a preview in Tampa. We're going to D.C. at Catholic University January 6th through the 8th for one more preview. And then we're actually kicking this thing off like big time at, at the theater that Gary Sinise founded in Chicago called Steppenwolf. Uh, January, oh, Chicago, wow. January in January. Be careful. <laughs> uh, yeah, January twenty through twenty. I'm from Wisconsin originally, so I gotta hate it already. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> but then um, we're um, if you go to lastoutplay.com uh, or scottman.com, that all of our tour stops. I think we've got mm -hmm. them listed there now. Good, good, and, and we'll post it on the page too because I just hey, we got yeah we got like a lot of comments time. in the yeah. in the chat. Uh, you know, going back to the conspiracy, one guy says that uh, Schultz says that oh the Foo Fighters were real uh, for sure. But then we got uh, Jeff Creighton, good friend of ours, uh, who's on still on the recovery process. He's a cop. Uh, Shout uh, out to Creighton, man. Yeah, Creighton's on here. He uh, got hit by a drunk driver as a cop. On duty, uh, right? On duty, yeah. and you know, almost died. And he served as he was a Marine, and then switched over to the 82nd. Uh, but uh, hey, hope that that I love your videos, Jeff. That you on that recovery is just an awesome. awesome Talk about motivation, day. right there. Yeah, yeah. But um, no. So I, I, I did. He said that just listening to the brief of this play is like I got to go watch it. Well, Jeff, come to Phoenix. I'll pay for it, man. Let's go. Let's uh, do it. I know, you, I know you can afford it, but uh, we'll. Uh, just come out, hang out with me. We'll fly out to Phoenix, go watch it when Scott comes. Um, and hey, if Gary Sinise wants to, you know, produce our show, we, we won't get upset about that either. Uh, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, there's a when you talked about counterinsurgency and how you develop relationships, you know, especially as a Green Beret, uh, when we first deployed together, uh, Dave and I and the Joe, um, you know, I was an E4. Mm -hmm. So I, and it was a very kinetic environment. And I, I actually got to have a lot of fun, right? Cause I, I, I didn't, I wasn't responsible for anybody, right? I just got to gun a 50 cal, right? And I got to, you know, hey, shoot over there, Roger that, you know, like let's, let, let's go. And, but when you when you talk about counterinsurgency and you say it in your book, you know, it's like counterinsurgency does involve bullets, yeah. you know, and however, 
you're never going to win a war in today's generations of any country if you like unless you you know show who Americans actually are yeah what we actually stand for what we actually do yeah. and I think the reason they sent the 82nd to Samara after uh, that whole incident with uh, the 101st, um, you know, like it was, you got to be able not to shoot sometimes. Yeah. When you're fully authorized to shoot, uh, you know, and the 101st fucked that place up. Yeah. And, but again, I can see where their mentality was, you of know, and, and, and it was like, cause Samara was not a safe place either. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so it's like, you get shot at all day, every day. You don't know what you're in an urban environment. You don't know where it's coming from, you know, and Al Qaeda wasn't like other groups. Al Qaeda would shoot at you from a, a congested place, hoping yeah. that you smacked all these people. Yeah. But that's exactly what they were waiting for. Now me as a young E4, however, you know, I, I, I came in later in the army, I came when I was 23 years old. It's like, I got that right away. You know, I understood that, that it was like, if I shoot right now and I kill 20 civilians, it might not do anything to us, might not hurt us. In fact, it might save a couple of our lives, but the people I just killed, right? Maybe they got three cousins into crit, all right? Maybe I think, got... Nick, you and I were very cognizant of that all the time. Even like when we had soldiers, it would act, you yes. know, act a certain way towards the civilians. Like, hey, fuck face. Like, yeah. Why? Why are you yeah. being a fucking Why asshole? Why are you being right a jackass now? today? Like we're gonna yeah. drive through like, here again tomorrow, and you being an asshole it costs one of our lives, you know. Right. So yeah, yeah, I think we were really good about that. I'm not gonna name any names, but there but was then one again, we had a tremendous, we had a tremendous yeah. command team, like great leadership, right? and everything. We had, yeah. we we had, you know, who's now Colonel Ferris? He was Captain Ferris. Yeah. And we had, uh, you know, First Sergeant Perez, General Luong. Yep. General Luong was the battalion commander, and it yep. was like they taught us that hey, understand that. It's a system. It's complex. Yeah. If you and the, and like, and the, if you screw this up, you might not see any. You might not get hurt by it, but you might have two other villages go nuts in someone else's AO. Right. In my and, opinion, it's also just being a human being, man. Right. So like, I, exactly, I don't think I was. But nobody Scott, needed to teach me how to like treat other people. But you know? for those yeah. for those of you who think that counterinsurgency doesn't involve fighting and it just means handing out soccer balls, <laughs> Scott, talk a little bit about that with uh, how those relationships were built. And, you know, for the person watching right now that doesn't understand why people were upset about that Afghanistan withdrawal, uh, you know, obviously we know why. But talk about those relationships and what was built. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the way I always try to break it down is that if you if you if you if you think back to 9-11, you know, the worst terror attack in our nation's history and, and what mobilized many of us to get involved in this thing. Um, you know, my Ranger buddy was killed on 9-11 in the Pentagon, Cliff Patterson. He was uh, you know, he never had a chance on that day. And, and from that point on, like for the very, you know, the first couple of years uh in the war like you guys were talking about i was focused on retribution i was focused on payback scalps on the barn and and i got it in spades man just like a lot of us but but what i came to realize um getting back to my my green beret roots as, as spending you know several tours in afghanistan was when you think about violent extremism groups like isis al-qaeda you know what they do is they set up shop in these undergoverned at-risk places like iraq mm -hmm. afghanistan and they immerse themselves in a population that is dilapidated, that is having trouble governing itself. And they basically exploit that local population 
to to get a level of autonomy that allows them to plan. Well, that's a big train. word. Yeah, you know they can do whatever the fuck they want, and they can plan, train, project. <laughs> uh, you know, you got to use smaller words. Um, we have a rule on veteran trash talk: you can't use words you can't spell. But I think you can spell that. So yeah, we would. I'm sure Scott that. can. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but you know that's what happened on 9/11. Is there was a safe haven in Afghanistan where these guys were able to do whatever they wanted, uh, and they did it from these rural populations, man. So. You know, when we went into those places in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, the only the only true antibody to, to like putting down Al Qaeda, putting down ISIS, in my assessment of, of years of work in that problem, is locals, local Afghans, local Iraqis, local commandos, local Afghan special forces, Casca Tejas, you know. Uh, they're the ones that have the staying power they're, they have they have the ability to get in there and root them out um, and that's really where things were going in Afghanistan I mean you, you talked about these relationships the Afghan commandos for example that were started in 2008 were doing two, basically 98 percent of the fighting by the end of the Afghan war they had lost hundreds if not thousands of people um I think the Afghan army lost something like 66,000 people in, in the Jesus, um, you know, and the Afghan commandos and the special forces were by the end of the war, we're doing all the fighting. If you watch this movie retrograde, that's coming out on Nat Geo, um, mm -hmm. you'll get a real good sense of just what a load those guys were carrying. And, you know, really, I think Nick, you worked with the first group and the commandos a little bit. You saw how good those guys are. Like, I was going to, I was going to ask that question because um, both of you have been to Afghanistan. I did. I did my 27 months in Iraq, and we dealt a lot with the Iraqi army. And like, are they se semi comparable? Or I mean, uh, the way you're talking about Scott, what what you know, these commandos did the, in the, Afghanistan. The ANA A &A are yeah. like the national police in Iraq. Okay, right? Like the the not great because I was at never at no point ever I was I was very you know fascinated with our Terps interpreters and stuff we had some really really good guys shout out to you know well, um, remember when 10th group brought down their guys that they were training when uh, the yep. IP station got blown up and it killed yep. like 40 IPs yep right like they brought down their the Iraqi army guys their special yep. forces guys you know and you see what Green Berets like in the book says are supposed to do yep right like yep. like not kick down doors. No, that's not. That's not even. Yeah. The, you know, the, 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 I had a I had a Green Beret uh, Colonel one time wrote a great op-ed. He was talking about he went to see his um he went to see his doctor and the doctor was razzing him about you know the seals killing Bin Laden and you know didn't he feel you know didn't he feel ashamed that the seals got him instead of the Green Berets and and the general our general was mad about that but he said the reason he was mad is that the doctor didn't realize that that was never a Green Beret's job in the first place. That's right. that's not. It's not right. what they do. And, you know, our job has always been relationships and building mm -hmm. these partner forces so that, you know, they can hold ground. They can do this over the long haul and we can get our guys out of there. And that was honestly where things were moving in Afghanistan. I mean, there was a, not only broader Afghan army, they weren't that great, but the Afghan Special Operations Command and, and the associated forces, man, they were good. And, and they were well-trained and they were getting after it. And we literally walked away from them. I mean, I interviewed General Sami Sadat, who was um, an Afghan special ops commander fighting in Helmand province. And in, I think it was in June of 2021, 
his air wing commander walks into him. And but now remember now, at this point, all the Green Berets are out of country. They're gone. There's no advisory support at all. The commandos are fighting on their own. And Sammy and his guys are holding Hellman the best they can. His air wing commander walks in and says, sir, we can't fly today. And he's like, why not? He goes, all the contractors are gone. They've God. all gone. And, and without any warning, without any heads up, our entire contractor fleet left Afghanistan and every airframe in the inventory was grounded within hours. And, and you've put so much effort into building them up. Like you got our support and then just like that. Yeah. And, and you know, our, our, just, ah, like, yeah. just like you guys, you know, because this isn't unique to Green Berets. I mean, even when you guys were operating in Iraq, you were doing counterinsurgency. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gunning up and getting after it. But you were working by, with, and through indigenous people, yep. you know, and, yep. and, and, and that's what we all did. It's what we gave our youth for, right? We sacri We traded our youth. Uh, for um, a capacity to exist in those two countries so that we didn't get hit like that again, you know? And, and mm -hmm. the, problem, the problem with that, the way Afghanistan ended was, to me, everything that we were taught and told and held accountable for was completely abandoned within 24 hours, you know? And, and it, it created, in my assessment, um, a moral injury on our veteran population that we don't even understand right now. Like, yeah, it's not, you know, we can't even study it yet. No, but, no, but the I've effects won't be for another five, 10 years. Yeah. 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 I've lost three friends to suicide from the Afghanistan conflict. And it's, I think we're on the front end of a tsunami right now. I really, right. do. Yep. something we're on the front end of something that we don't even understand. And uh, I'm not sure our leaders, our senior leaders, get it well one they don't they don't yeah my care. dad my, my dad they, read they the book care. too my dad read the book too and and he was like yeah tell scott i loved it and tell him that i like how he took a very hard stance on how fucked up that situation was you know and that he's expressing his opinion and his feelings well then because, again it's a, it's objective you know, it's, too i try yeah. to be i really I yeah. no, the, the book that, is 100 objective it is but it, you can pull it out of there from you know like well what i tried to do guys on this was no, I'm saying I, that's a, objectives are good yeah thing, yeah yeah, like, yeah. And when yeah. I when I decided to write the book, I was I'm in Kentucky with my mom and dad right now. And one of the things that was really hard for me was I thought, you know, if I write this book the way it happened and I tell the story through the lens of the Afghans who risked everything and, and their veteran partners who stood at their shoulder, it is going to reveal oh, things, yeah. about, things about our senior leadership, things about our institutional leaders that pretty much every mentor I've ever had is going to walk away from me. And that yeah. is exactly what happened. I mean, that is exactly what happened. But writing it in the third person where, where I'm just a character in the book versus this one time at band camp, here's what I did. Yeah, I, call, I was mm -hmm. calling you The Rock when I was reading it. <laughs> <laughs> the Rock says. <laughs> no, I was just a storyteller, man. And yeah. honestly, my role in this thing was, was, you know, kind of a head cheerleader for a lot of really, really talented people that did some amazing things. And, um, and then just getting to tell their story, honestly, that, that was my, that was my role in this thing. But in doing so at the end, um, Dave, what I did decide was, yes, I'm going to tell this story in the third person, mm -hmm. I'm going to try to keep it really apolitical and just play it down the middle and just tell it from the street level, the grunt level. But when I get to the epilogue, I'm going to have my say, you know, because, because I felt like if, if, if we were going to do what we did 
and, you know, cash in our pension funds and our savings accounts to keep our brothers alive and, and, and step into the arena. Then we rated the opportunity at the end to speak our piece. Damn right. And that's what that Damn epilogue right. was. I felt like the epilogue from, I interviewed, was phenomenal. I interviewed, um, dozens man of not just green berets but guys from you know i i went and met with the 82nd um you know the white devils who frankly holy crap man what what those guys did at that four foot hole in the wall it is it is the stuff of legend and and you know there were no green berets on the ground man there were no sf teams on the ground it was white devils from the 82nd that were pulling the vetted Afghans that we were pushing up to the fence over phones. They were the ones pulling them through. But, but my point is in interviewing all yeah, the red sunglasses, Captain red sunglasses, Captain red sunglasses, pineapple, yeah. go find Captain yeah. red sunglasses. Yeah. And, 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 and Jesse, his first Sergeant, uh, yeah. who I thought was just Jesse Kennedy, one of the most amazing guys. Um, but, but at the end of the day, man, I, my damn dog. It's okay. Uh, all good. All good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, he's, he's 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 yelling at his dog right now. Oh, Shut that damn dog up, like Tombstone. But uh, no. It, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Keep going. Well, what I was just going to finish on is what all of them said consistently was, "Where were the generals, man? You know, like where where were the where where was the senior leadership on this thing? Where were the where were the diplomats? Where were the senior politicians? You know, stepping in for us and and taking a stand for us." And I think that was the thing that was hardest for, for, for these guys. And, and in the epilogue, you know, having to talk about that was super uncomfortable, frankly, because a lot of those guys are my mentors and, you know, all of us bear responsibility for what happened in this war, but, you know, that's just a question that remains unanswered. And um, it's, I think it, there's gotta be accountability here, man. They're just hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Well, you, you brought, you brought, you brought up NCOs earlier with your play. And, you know, Buddy and I have talked about this all the time. We specifically talk about the fifth principle. I'm sure Bill will chime in on it because Bill has some extensive time in Afghanistan as well with uh, Green Berets. Um, but we, uh, I always try to tell people, I go, stop yelling at, you know, people above the rank of Fullbird for, for like things that don't really matter, right, to them because they don't care about them. Like, they're not supposed to care about them. They're supposed to be looking up and out of the formation, not down and in, right? I go, that's the NCO's job. So when you start talking about bases like Fort Hood or whatever, it's like with, you know, Vanessa Guillen or, you know, whatever is, whatever is going on. No, no, no. Where is the sergeant at? That's who I want to talk to. Yeah. I want to find out why that, why that person didn't know. Now, what you're talking about is 100% strategic. It's 100% who was responsible. Right. And so, yes, like, where are you? Yeah. Right. And how political are you going to be? Now, we have inside information. I'm not going to say the name. Obviously, you'll know who I'm talking about, but he kind of worked with General Mathis when he was the Secretary of Defense. Right. And, you know, Bill knows this story. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> yeah, like, I do too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're supposed to, when you don't agree with what the politicians are doing as a, as a senior leader in the military, you're supposed to resign. That's right. Right. And that, and that's, that tells everybody that, Hey, look, you know, I, I'm not going to unnecessarily put troops at risk. Yep. Like I'm, I'm going to resign. And like, that's what a leader does. But, but to that point, you know, and this, and I, and I raised this point and I, I actually got a phone call 
and I'll do the same. I'll, I'm just gonna, yeah, I'm just gonna keep it. I'm just gonna keep it anonymous. But I got a phone call from the public affairs officer of a very, very senior person in the Pentagon who basically was saying to me, Scott, what kind of country would we live in if every time one of our senior officers disagreed with a politician that they resigned? That's what that that's what was asked to me. And I said, a good one. I'd like to live in a country where a senior <laughs> officer resigns whenever we break a promise to a partner, you know, to an ally, you know, because that is when I look at all of the of the senior NCOs and junior officers who took a stand and risked their careers in this abandonment, this wholesale abandonment, I believe, and in, based on my conversations with them, they had fought this entire war. They had lost their friends. They had lost their youth for the simple reason that they knew that the reason we were attacked in the first place was because we lacked sufficient, viable intelligence capability on the ground and mm -hmm. we did not have a good partner capability to stand against that threat. And they said never again. And they gave everything to it over and over again. They didn't go one time, two times. They went like Dave, 27 months in Iraq or Bill, God knows how many rotations with seventh group, you know, and, and, and same with you, Nick. And, and this is not unusual. This was our entire combat population did this. And when they saw what happened in Afghanistan and this abandonment, they saw the complete erosion of everything that had been built. And they yep. saw that this, this magnificent capability that had been built over time was literally just going to go into like desert sand. It was just going to blow away, you know? And so they jumped into the breach and they tried to hold it for as long as they could for responsible institutional leaders to come and take it. Mm -hmm. And they never did. They never came. And right now I will tell you, there are still groups like Moral Compass, Pineapple, uh, Sacred Promise, who are still on the phone with these Afghans, paying for safe houses, paying for babies to be born, moving families from Pakistan to Afghanistan, doing food drops, right? Because they cannot hang up the phone because they know if they do that these commandos and these special forces and their families are going to be executed, you know? <laughs> and to do that to our... Yeah, I mean... To do that to these people who gave us everything they had, and then to put that on their shoulders and 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 pretend like none of this ever happened, I, I will never understand it. I, I, I don't care what excuses I get from the bureaucrats and the senior officers on this. There is nothing that can justify placing this burden on our veteran population. And 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 there never will be. You know, yeah, I'll look out, we gotta let Bill chat a little bit here. He's been he's on been on mute for a while. Uh I know he's steaming a little bit of the thing. And I just, you know, we have J I don't know if you know who JC Bill, Bill probably can't yeah. comment too much on this. But uh <laughs> yeah. but I mean, oh, he, he I'll comment. Out. Yeah, but you know, JC Glick, uh he's lost eight of his rangers to suicide in the last couple of years. You know, and like like you said, if we don't this is another thing. We, we got to intervene guys. We got it. We got to get ahead of it. We got to call your buddies. We got to, you know, get them on veteran trash talk, get them to the play, you know, pineapple express, uh, the, the last, last out play, get them there. So yeah, Bill, I see you chomping at the bit there. So getting angry. If you need anybody in your play to like represent a big, tall Russian, like Drago, that's yeah. Bill. he's like six, six, like he's a monster. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, man, where do I begin? Um, so yeah. So, 
a lot of people don't understand, and and Dave, the, the hit on the question you asked earlier is is how hard uh, some of these Ansoc and Kitejas guys fought over there. Uh, and you know, when we had uh, Scott, we had another seventh group good friend of mine who also wrote a book, Tip of the Spear, Ryan Henderson. I mean, yeah, shout out to Ryan, man. Yeah. He's in Ukraine right now, blowing up bombs. <laughs> I mean, like the dude doesn't stop either, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> a question I got for you in a couple of seconds, Scott, is you know we talked about when we lost Abe and Bismula. Uh, a lot of people don't understand that these guys fought their asses off with us, uh, and get, like Abe gave their lives, and, and we just walked away. And there's a bunch of Kitejas guys I think about, and uh, even. Even though I'm surprised it took him that long to get assassinated, you know, the General Rosics were out there just running and gunning the whole time we're over there. And for us to just walk away, it hurt. And, you know, and I've also lost some seventh degree brothers to suicide. And uh, Andy, Andy was part of the, the White Devils crew. And a lot of people think it was actually that deployment that did the most damage to him mentally. And it wasn't necessarily the uh, some of the seventh group ones. And I, 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 people ask me all the time how I felt about it. I can't explain it. It's actually got a little worse for me now. I just got a brand new lieutenant who grew up in Kabul. She was actually a major in the in the AMP. Uh, wow. Now she's over here. And it's interesting to talk to her, getting her views on it. Obviously, you, you can imagine her views. Um, and it, and I just, I don't have words to explain to people of of what that did to the veterans like we're talking about and think about all the people that I know there that we just left. And, and listen, when, when we were, when we left, all those dudes knew what was going to happen. Oh yeah. It was clear as day. We, I yep. mean, we all knew what was going to, they, they were about to get steamrolled. I can't believe it happened that fast necessarily, but we all knew it was coming. And the question I have for yeah. you, Scott, you know, I'm really close with Ryan, really great friend of mine. Um, chewed a lot of the same dirt together. We may try to I, kill him. <laughs> I did try to kill he him. He did. He did drop a bomb on top of him, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you know, the soft world is, you know, a very silent world, not like the SEALs. You know, the, the GBs have a different mindset. But I know when Ryan released his book, you know, we talked, he started getting a lot of hate from, from the community uh, for, for just writing a book. Uh, were you seeing any of that hate yourself? That's a great question, Bill. And I, I appreciate all that you've done, man. And please tell Ryan hello for me. I'm, I'm super proud of him. And, you know, um, I want to come back to another point you made. I won't do it right now. I want to answer your question directly. But I, I do want to come back to, if we could, guys, um, yeah. what Bill talked about. Floor's yours, brother. And what we're characterizing as moral injury, because I think what you guys are doing is going to help a lot with it. And I want to call it out just a little bit as a named thing. But but before that, I'll go to I'll go to your question, Bill. On and, and and I did, yeah, I did get some. Um, but you know, I'll I'll tell you, man. Like when I decided to enter the public space, the reason I did it was when uh, it was actually when ISIS was coming to the forefront in 2014, and I was looking at a lot of these talking heads uh, that were talking about ISIS, and they were completely wrong. Like they were not saying what our guys were going through. They weren't talking accurately about who ISIS was and what they were about, and. They, our guys didn't really have a voice. Uh, certainly the SF community didn't have a voice in the public space. And I wanted to try to do that. And then as, after I got into the nonprofit world and realized that one of the biggest deficits that we have in our civil society is that we don't help our veterans transition home through storytelling. 
Every society on the planet uses storytelling. It's what you guys do. Storytelling, yep. it heals the brain, it heals the soul, and it allows us to bridge that civil military gap. And I, it keep, you know, I was in a closet with a 45, man, and it, and it brought me out and saved my life. And so I really fell in love with this thing called storytelling and built a nonprofit around it. But I never got any flack for that. I didn't even really get any flack for the play. I mean, SF NCOs, I, we did it at Bragg and like third group was there, SWIC. I mean, and, and it was almost entirely operators. And when the play was over, no one, we were just sitting there breathing together. It was the most cathartic thing I've ever seen. And everybody was with me. The book, the only flack I got on it was really from senior leadership <laughs> because they felt like, you know, they- You're calling them out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, how dare you? Um, and you know the deal, man. Like in the in the soft world, there is this tribalism, like, you know, this geo, that geo, and they've got their little tribe and faction, and you're this, you know, and if you're affiliated with that crap, then you know, you don't you don't do that. You don't, no matter what this general does or this admiral, you don't you don't talk about it publicly. But to me, it's like, wait a minute, if these guys were I've been in the public sector for 10 years teaching corporate America. If any of these guys were CEOs, they'd have been fired long ago. And, Ooh, and, what, yeah, that's a... and, and what they, you know, and their actions would have been on public display for consideration. And to me, it's like, we need to do this. We need You're to be in jail. About, yeah. We, well, <laughs> yeah. Some of, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and we need- We promise to you this money. Hey guys, could do, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess that's comparable, Nick. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We need to talk about what happened in a way of accountability, if nothing else. Uh, and now I'll swing it back. But but I think the reason that some of the guys feel that flack is when whenever, for some reason, I don't know why it is, but if you write your memoirs or something in the first person, uh, Special Forces has a tendency to eat its own. And I I, I, I don't know why that is. I, I don't know it's why. The in general. Yeah, I don't know why we don't celebrate um, the stories that we tell, particularly if they're, if they're told authentically and, and honestly, as a way to, to learn and, and, and celebrate our journey to right. me, I it's, I'm all for it, man. I, I think it's great. And, and whether it's, you know, Jocko or Tim Kennedy, I don't really care. I just want to know their story. I think it's awesome. Um, and Jim Gant, you know, is another one. He was decimated. Um, so I don't, I did not experience it that bad bill. Uh, but I think maybe it's because I wrote the book in third person. Um, and, uh, and I just interviewed a ton of NCOs along the way. And most of them were the characters in the book. Um, most of the guys that are characters in my book are renegades. You know, they're kind of guys that, that, that went against the grain anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to, I was going to hit on that. Well, go ahead, Nick. I mean, whatever. Yeah, I was going to just, you know, bring yeah. up veteran trash talk again. And, uh, you know, what we're here for and what, like, what, you know, also like something like that Bill signed up for and we became good friends over it is, you know, Ryan telling his story when he came on the show and he's been on multiple podcasts and he's been a Jocko. I mean, like, you know, like, like he, that was his therapy. Yeah. And yeah. you're, you're, and you're going to hate on him for it. It's ridiculous. Right? It's yeah. like, you're so dumb. Yeah. Right? It, it, like, I, yeah. I don't care who you are. If you're going to come at, like and we, we we deal with people like this on veteran trash talk where it's like all the time who do you fucking think you are or what have you done yeah. because what ryan's been through there's people that have been through worse than ryan but what ryan's been through he actually had the courage to talk about it yeah, yeah. he actually had the courage to put it on paper yeah and he helped save lives with that book yep 
right? And it's like, and you're gonna hate on him for it. Like, I, I got nothing for you. Yeah, like Scott said, we just got to promote. We we got to promote talking about it. Yeah, I think that's the best. That's the best therapy for me. Like, yeah. like like we always say on Saturdays we get on here, but like if you keep it bogged inside of you, you know, and then it just becomes harder and harder and harder. Like my therapy. Like, look, we joke about one of the hardest days of Bill's exactly. life. Exactly. Like, exactly. Like, exactly. We joke about it. We're yep. like, Bill, yeah, you gotta yep. try to kill Ryan with a five hundred pounder. <laughs> but no, it's not. Right. It's 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 not <laughs> cool to talk about it. It's you know. I just got to keep, I'm going to be a man and just keep it in me. And, you know, like, and that's, and that's when the situations occur, man. It's, you know? it's, it's, it's killing us at an epidemic level. hundred percent. Spot on. Spot on, Scott. No, what did you say, Bill, before you, you didn't really come through? Go ahead, Bill. I still that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. We didn't catch like, that part, Bill. I said, I didn't try to kill Ryan. Keaton just tried to kill Ryan. So you can't blame me. <laughs> uh, no, like even when, uh, Ryan came out here and did the book signing with, with with trucks i remember him him texting me he's like hey do you mind coming because i always have people that show up and just say i'm lying in my book and and i, I talked about it again like i don't know why i mean we just talked about is why we try to eat eat ourselves all the time Terrible. like as soon yeah. as we see if success or write a book it's hey we got to instantly attack this guy and say he's lying about everything and it's just i don't know why we do it well we talked about that i think two episodes ago nick and i it's just just with the veteran community and the and the veterans that have started businesses and everything, yeah, you know how they hate on each other. Yeah. Like, it's dude, like, why, we want to promote we... everybody. Like, yeah. you sell shirts, come on our show. We'll promote you for yeah, free. Yeah, so Scott, like, we're for, we're a for profit company. <laughs> Their so, goal like, is that we're all successful. Why do we have to go against each other? You know, like let's <laughs> all, all together and then let's be successful together. We got we got people that can, like, they'll, they'll message us and be like, hey, yeah. can we come on our show? We're an apparel company. We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah come like, on, our, like. But you're an apparel company. It's like, yeah, you sell shirts too. Okay, like, 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 well, like, I hope you get loaded, man. Like, like, <laughs> like here you go. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, shout out to Ryan Wempy with uh, that. What, what, I forgot to forget the name. Is it Wempy Gear or whatever? But he's got that hot yoga Samara shirt that he made for us. Like, it's just, <laughs> it just oh man, he's Ryan Wempy's a great dude. Scott, so, I want to Scott. I got a question for you. I want to transition a little bit into the book without giving out all the details because ho hopefully you know more people get this book because it's just amazing. But I want to talk about give us a a, a really. Hmm. Like your good news story, like one of the, the stories in there briefly that really touched you, you know, that really made you feel good. And then give us one, if, if, if you don't mind sharing it, just like really, you know, I know these are some hard questions, right? And it's oh. and Scott, open up like this is what our show is about, yeah. you know, like this is. Yeah, yeah. so I'll start with um, I'll start with um, the one that um, the hardest part for me was you know, the low point in all of this w was after we had, you know, we had gotten Azam out and I, you know, I don't think I'm showing the football there because, you know, he's, he's in the United States now. He's your neighbor. He's my neighbor. I um, love it. Fucking yeah. Love it. And yeah. Uh, we actually did a keynote together not too long ago and he just took the microphone from me and talked for like an hour. Uh, but, <laughs> but, um, but anyway, um, the lowest point for me in this whole thing was, um, was when the level of suffering that so many of the of the of the Afghans were enduring over 72 96 hours at a time out in that 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 just human wave of 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 death and destruction by Abbey Gate and there was no food there was no water it was 104 degrees they're trying to hold their children above the tear gas so that they don't 
suck in all those fumes and there's flashbangs going off around them and people are getting trampled. And, you know, this just goes on for not just hours, but for days. And, you know, um, you're, you're on the phone with a partner that you had served with who had, had just so loyally and faithfully, you know, fought alongside you. And, 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 and they're just saying, sir, you know, they're beating my wife right now. Um, should, should I do something or, or what, what should I do? I just, and, and you, and you're like, dude, I just need you to just keep it going. Just endure it. You're almost there, you know? And he's like, but sorry that, you know, they're beating her and you can hear it, uh, you know? And, and it's like, how much do you ask these people to endure? How much do you ask them to go through? And that was what was going through my mind towards the very end of this thing. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, man. Like it was, it was the last period of darkness before the bomb went off. And, and I was just, I was just in sitting in the darkness, you know, just crying because it was like, you know, I'm not the right guy to be doing this, man. I'm a 53 year old storyteller. Like I'm not exactly the number one draft pick for personnel extraction. And, you know, um, these people are dying out here. A little girl, a little four-year-old girl had just gotten trampled, you know, and her, uh... we're trying to find a way to, you know, get her, get her to the hospital. And it's just like, you know, what are we doing, man? Is this, what am I doing? I, I can't do this, you know? And, and uh, it was just this really, really dark period where I thought these people are actually getting killed because we're, we're asking them to stay. And at, at that point um, I call, I just said, we're knocking it off. You know, if they want to stay, they can stay. I, I can't do this. Like, I just, I can't, I can't be, you know, I just can't keep asking them to endure this. And so everybody was in the chat room saying my people are staying, my people are leaving, you know, and it, a lot of people left, man. And I'm not kidding you five minutes after I did that, it comes in the attention on the net, attention on the net, the conductors back up, the pineapple express is running. And wow. I don't wow. know how many people couldn't get in because of that decision I made, you know? And, um, you know, I've made a lot of decisions in my life, man, that didn't go well. And, and, but that one, like that one, that one will haunt me the rest of my days, you know? And, um, it was well, just, yeah, you know, one of those things yeah. where it's just two bad choices. You know what I mean? It was just two bad choices. And, um, I made one of them and then, and then, you know, life happens on the back end of it. And, you know, I try not to beat myself up about it, but it still is there. You know, you still, there's still people that are stuck over there. There are people I know for a fact who were ex executed um, after the bombing who were in the queue and I took them out of the queue. Um, wow. And I tell you that because, because the last thing in the world I ever want to do is to come across as if I'm, you know, I'm pointing fingers at, General right. X, or Admiral right. Y, because we all bear responsibility. I'm a commissioned officer, you know, and 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 I bear responsibility for a lot of the stuff that happened in that war, to include some people not being around anymore. And and uh, but that for me, on top of everything else, like was a serious low point that I still wrestle with very hard, um, even now. Well, I really appreciate you bringing that, yeah, Scott. Out. Thank you for sharing. Like, yeah. Uh, and that's something that, you know, our audience, some people understand, uh, a lot of people like people are you know, going to benefit from that. People yeah. benefit from that for sure. Especially like leaders, you know, and we always talk about it, you know, business school, they never teach you about 
the fact that most likely your first six businesses will fail. Yeah. So let me give right. you a high. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, Nick. I, yeah, I'm and sorry. then to get to your hypo, but like I just wanted for the audience watching, I mean, we have a we've had a good audience today, uh, comment and stuff like that. Is if you really want the reins of leadership, like you're gonna make mistakes, right? Yeah. And you, you're gonna you're gonna it's what you do after that that makes you a leader, makes yeah. you a, makes makes you a true patriot. But uh, yeah, go to the high point, Scott. That that one was that one hit home, man. That yeah. One hit home. And I'll throw a shout out to my old man. He's sitting here right now, just off camera. But uh, he's he fought wildland fire for for like four decades, and he taught me that very lesson that you're going to make mistakes, people are going to get hurt, maybe killed, and you got to go sit on a stump for a few minutes and then get your ass back in the fight. Like that's mm. that's it. You know, that's all you can do. Um, the high point. Uh, so there was a lady that we were evacuating. And her name was, and she's in the book. You'll see this. Um, her name was um, uh, Hasina Safi. Mm -hmm. And Hasina was the minister of women's affairs, right? She was, she was one of four female ministers in Afghanistan, but she was the minister of women's affairs. Like she was the person who ushered in reform and change for women in Afghanistan. And so when the Taliban- Wow, so she was already dealing with- I mean, Dude. that's already a dangerous thing in itself. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 Women can't talk or teach. Yeah. Your, yeah. Your mouth. The most, the most wanted woman Look in at Iran right now. Yeah. Go like ahead. the most yeah. wanted woman in Afghanistan by far. State Department's not evacuating her. USAID is not evacuating her. No one's, no one's helping her. So we start moving her through the Pineapple Express. Right. Hold on just a second, guys. Yeah. You're good. Yeah, so guys, that if you, when you read this book, go get it. Go get Operation Pineapple Express. You're gonna see exactly what we've said on this show before. Where if you like, if you don't think what we were doing was just in Afghanistan, you should see how they treat women in Afghanistan, right? <laughs> and we just and, and and we just did a you know a shirt for fight like a woman in Iran. Like you got no idea, all right? All you all you keyboard warriors got no idea what what these women went through. Dude, Not that shit in Iran is wow. While, yeah. while, while Scott's getting ready to do whatever he's got to do. But the videos that are floating around of just women getting just literally groups of women just getting slaughtered, gunned down, yeah. you know, and they're standing up there in their country. They know they don't wear the hijab and they're standing up and they know they're going to get killed. So <laughs> they're doing up, it, though. Like, talk about talk about being yeah. strong. You know? Yeah. Leading up to the what Scott's talking about with his, you yep. know, his positive note here is how quick of a transformation women all of a sudden were allowed to make money. We're allowed to read. We're allowed to teach. And all, a sudden, <laughs> and all of a sudden it's gone again, just like yeah. that. Right. And those promises that we made and you had people that were, again, like Scott was saying, the most wanted woman in Afghanistan. So uh, can you hear us, Scott? You still got us? Yeah. Yeah. I'm back. Yeah. Guys. Yeah, so that. yeah. So we're, we're right there. You're about to get the minister of women's affairs out. So, so the only way that, that she can move out is the, the, basically what Operation Pineapple Express consisted of was moving through the crowd and then into a sewage canal, an open sewage canal near Abbey Gate, just this nasty open sewage canal that was like knee-deep sewage. And then there was a four-foot hole in the fence that uh, members of the White Devils, uh, the Marines and the, and the par British paratroopers held it. But the 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 White Devil, the company of White Devils that was right there, John Captain Red Sunglasses and, and First Sergeant Kennedy, they were able to access that hole 
um, and come in and out of it. And they, they were allowed to do that. And so we had made contact with them. And so what would happen is you would go through the crowd, we would put you in the queue, um, and then we would pass that information over to the 82nd guys on a baseball card, just the same way that we targeted Taliban, ISIS on these baseball cards. We just reversed it. And then they would have that. They would have a green chem light around their neck. And then they right time, right place. The Afghan commando and his family would drop into the canal. They would get to the green chem light. They would hold up a pineapple on their phone, exchange challenge and password, and then get pulled through the hole in the fence. Like that was the pineapple express. And we ran this thing for, you know, 72 hours. Well, Hasina Safi, uh, you know, she's, she's the minister of women's affairs. She has no tactical training. She's on the run from the Taliban. She's got her full family in tow. And so they're moving through this crowd and they're going to go into the Pineapple Express, right? And, and so she has this fear of soldiers. And the reason that she has this fear of soldiers is because when she grew up in Afghanistan, the Russians had targeted her father and had almost killed him. And they were refugees in Pakistan her entire childhood. So she always harbored this immense fear of soldiers to include NATO soldiers. Mm -hmm. And so when she was told by uh, Congressman Waltz's um, staffer that she was going to have to drop into this canal and get pulled out by a soldier, she's freaking out more about that than going through a Taliban checkpoint, right? She huh. is petrified. Oh. And and so, they're, so they get down in this canal and uh, they get, so – now flip over to the guy on the other, the soldier that's going to pull her out is a guy by the name of First Sergeant Jesse Kennedy. Um, and Jesse Kennedy grew up in South Georgia. He was a farm boy, uh, extremely poor. You know, his dad died when he was really young. Um, but just this salt of the earth dude that like mm -hmm. when you read this book, you will see what what an, eight, what an airborne NCO is supposed to be like. I mean, it is he you guys will be so proud of him because he just embodies what you guys lived, you know, and, and yep, he's yep. so good. Um, and he's just decent, you know, like there's nothing flamboyant or flashy about him. He's just decent. And he, and he's, he's a, he's a warrior's warrior, but he's all about just doing the right thing. And anyway, so he's the guy at the, at the fence when Hasina goes into the canal and she said that she looked up and there's this big hulking figure, uh, <laughs> And, and, and he says, name, you know, like that. And she, she made us to say Hasina Safi and she's like tears coming down her face, you know? <laughs> and she said that this big arm comes down and grabs her, pulls her out. And he says, my name's Jesse. You're safe now. Oof, fucking awesome. And he, and he pulled her Goose whole family. Yeah. yeah. He pulled her whole family in. And then he, um, he took them to the flight line and he was off shift. And he sat with them all night at the flight line because she was going to the British embassy and she was waiting on the Brits to come pick her up. And because she was the men, she, Jesse knew she was somebody important. He didn't know who, but um, he sat with her and her family um, the entire night. The Brits never showed. So he crossed over kind of the NATO line that you're not supposed to cross, went over to a British representative and, sh and said, this is Hasina Safi. They looked her name up and they were like, oh, my God, <laughs> we should <laughs> we should have reacted to this a lot sooner. Yeah, <laughs> so they went and grabbed her family, bypassed processing. And as they're walking them to the plane, Jesse pulls off his American flag and gives it to her because it was all he had. And wow. uh, and so I interviewed Hasina 
I've interviewed her on my podcast. You guys should listen to it. It will break you. Oh, we will. But but she talks about, um, she said, when I went into that canal, I had five brothers. And when I came out, I had six. And uh, yeah, they're still in touch to this day. They still talk to each other. And when I went to Fort Bragg to see the White Devils and give them books and thank them for what they did personally mm -hmm. uh, for all the lives they saved because they didn't know. They were asking Captain Red Sunglasses, did did we get anybody? Like, did anybody really get out? And I'm like, you've got to be shitting me. Um, so we went up there and uh, I actually got Hasina on a Zoom call or Skype call with the, with the White Devils. And she was able to thank them and, you know, personally from London and, and thank Jesse. And, and it was just one of the most impactful things I've ever seen. It was just, it was just incredible. <sighs> um, but that was to me, probably the most like poignant, eye-opening, encouraging, patriotic things I've ever seen. And it just reminded me um, who we are as Americans and more importantly, you know, who our NCOs and our, our enlisted guys are because they, they are just magnificent, man. And, and um, these weren't SF guys. These were, these were paratroopers, man. And yeah. the Marines did the same thing and the JTACs. And um, yeah, it was, it was really, really humbling to see that. But then to be able to tell their story was, you know, and, and if I could just real quick, of course, um, same thing, Jesse and, and John, they got, when the, when the bomb went off, they were, I won't give that away. They were right there doing triage. The, the, the white devils were going through the fence, pulling people out when people were coming out of the fence. America's you, guard of honor. You can see it on the drone footage. You can see it. I watched like, you can see it. But um, when the Marines got hit so hard, you know, Jesse and John, when I was interviewing, they talked about how they, they raided the little shopette there on, on, on Kaya and the only thing left were uh, blueberry Pop-Tarts. And so they had like a pallet of blueberry Pop-Tarts that they ate the whole time they were on H. Kaya. Just <laughs> the it was like their only, their only um, luxury, I guess. And on their way out, you know, they had been pulled off the line after the Abbeygate bomb and they were going to be the guys to secure the final plane coming out on retrograde. So they were starting rehearsals for that. But on their way out, they stopped by the Marine company that had been hit so hard. And those guys were, you know, out away from the rest of the formation and they were obviously grieving heavily. And um, Jesse and his medic, Doc Lundy, um, grabbed a Hilux truck and they drove over to the Marines and they uh, they dropped off all of their med gear that they had remaining and uh, the remainder of the blueberry Pop-Tarts and um, and just spent a little time with those guys. And, and you know, and, and they didn't say anything. There wasn't any, but they just dropped off those Pop-Tarts and, you know, did what warriors do, man. And, and I just, damn, I, I just, you know, everything about those guys, as I interviewed them and told their story, I, I, it was just so poignant and such a heavy reminder of, of the magnificent people that serve and, 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 and the veterans, you know, it's just, uh, that was for me, it reminded me that I think our best days are still in front of us, man. As long as we have people like that, you know, man, I, that was, I think we talked about it before the show. We're like, yeah, we've had some people on it have made us shut up. And uh, Scott, you have definitely made us shut up listening to these stories, man. Like, yeah. thank you for sharing. Yeah, yeah. so the, the little AAR, okay, well, the Foo Fighters yep. are real. Okay, <laughs> There's a, it's the real aliens, okay, and uh, they help. That's right, 80-20. Well, I, I think it yeah. was a 50-50 split between help, help, you help and Scott. 
you helped know? turn the tide of World War II, the Foo yeah. Fighters. But um, <laughs> no, and then we got into uh, the Pineapple Express with Scott Mann. Um, and again, go get the book. Uh, I've already read it. It's phenomenal. And I can't wait for the play to go to phoenixlastoutplay.com. We're in. All right. Uh, go, go watch the play. And if you have anybody that served... And, and again, don't forget about the Korean War vets and the Vietnam vets. Right. All right. Like they have been forgotten about by this country. Okay. So reach out to them. Just spark a conversation with one of them. All right. Lead them to veteran trash talk. All right. Yeah. And, you know, that's where we tell our stories. And it happens on a daily basis on VTT official. So that's our group. That's our support group. So if you go on VTT official, you can talk story all day long. All right. And someone's going to someone's going to uh, understand you. Uh, and so, Scott, again, I don't want to give away too much of the book. Guys got to read it. Um, it's just absolutely phenomenal. And then, you know, you know, Bill came on and talked about being a leader, which he is a, a tried and true leader. Uh, and, you know, he talks about having to adapt, having to, uh, you know, make the changes necessary to reach the younger generations. And that's yeah. something that that we have to do. And it's not just military, you know. If you run a corporation, if you that's run a, life, yeah. You, <laughs> if it's life, if you want to attract the twenty-two-year-olds, well, like to work for you, then maybe you need to make it, you know, appealing to them. Yeah. All right. So stop uh, blaming them that that's their way of thinking. Yeah, or, and your yeah, and your yeah. dumbass policies that aren't that they're <laughs> yeah, not coming yeah. into. But yeah. uh, you know, anyways, uh, Scott, you get the last word before Dave closes us out. Uh, you know, give us all the plugs, all the links, and uh, yeah, whatever you want to say. And then Dave yeah, will close us out. I really enjoyed it, man. And I, and I love what you guys are doing. And I hope we can stay connected because there's so much work to be done. Um, if you want to follow my body of work, uh, scottman.com is probably the easiest way to do it. Everything about the play, you can, it's like a link tree there. Um, so everything, the play, the book, and just the nonprofit story work that we're doing, uh, scottman.com. And uh, if you want to just go straight to the play, the lastoutplay.com, you can go there and get the tour stops and all that. Um, I would just say... I, what I would end on is I do believe we're on the, we're on the, we're on the front end of a potential uh, veteran health, mental health tsunami. I, I think that what, what our, particularly our post 9-11 population is going through right now, there's a lot of recent studies out that says things like three out of five veterans feel like a, a, a stranger in their own country. 73% uh, of the post 9-11 population feels betrayed by the Afghan withdrawal. 67% feel humiliated. When you start combining that with the suicide, alcoholism numbers that we have, it's a nasty cocktail, and and we've really we've got to talk about it. We've got to we can't just bury it. We can't pretend like it's going to go away. And frankly, it's going to require, in my opinion, the the cooperation of the active duty component, the senior officers from the Pentagon, politicians. But it's also going to require you know former generals, former sergeants major, as well as you know, what you guys are doing and, and what we're doing, like at a grassroots level, it's going to take all of us. This is a, this is a massive thing. And if we want to get in front of this, um, we're going to have to do it. And, and, and there are things that we can do, you know, for example, you know, helping resettle our Afghan allies. I mean, two thirds of veterans say that would really help their mental health if that was to be done, if we, you know, but then we just had Congress pull it from the Afghan Adjustment Act. So, yep. uh, um, yeah. you know, it's so I think we have to we have to tell the story. We have to push for accountability, not because we're looking for blame, 
But warriors and war fighters want to know that what happened in Afghanistan is not going to happen to our kids. Or, you know, you want to talk about recruiting and retention? Most, most of the recruits come from military families. And guess what military families are telling their kids right now? Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't join. Because the senior leaders were telling me to get out when I had 18 years in. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. so we've got to, we've really got to come to terms with what happened in the Afghanistan withdrawal and the post 9-11 conflict, not in a victimhood kind of way, but in a way that we recognize moral injury for what it is. It's compromising one's values in a way that is detrimental to your soul. And uh, we have to address that because all the work on PTS, TBI is not going to matter if we let this moral injury go untended, not to mention our national security is shit right now because, uh, you know, ISIS and Al Qaeda are reconstituting in Afghanistan. Um, so there's just a whole lot about this guys that I think we got to keep talking about. We got to keep it in the forefront and we got to reach out to our buddies and, uh, and, and, and look them in the eyes and, and, and talk to them and intervene wherever we can. Boom. Wow. Yeah. I don't really have much to say anymore. Like yeah. I'm blown away, Scott. Thank you so much for coming on. I mean, just the stories you were sharing. I saw you get emotional a couple of times, but that's what this community is all about. You know, like we share our stories and at the end of the show, we all feel great about ourselves, right? Cause we all shared it amongst our brothers and then we're pushing out to our community. So for anybody that missed the episode or just tuned in late, go to veterantrashlock.com. Go check it out again on YouTube. We love you guys and we'll see you guys next Saturday. We're out. Scott, you can stay on.